This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. Have you ever noticed that there's something powerful about the beginning of a great story? Even something as basic as as children's fairy tales with their simple and compact once upon a time causes us to, to lean in and listen. You see, the truth is that we love fairy tales. We love children's stories. We love once upon a time stories. Now, here's the deal. We understand that fairy tales aren't, they're not really true, like literally true. But still, they seem to fulfill a set of longings in the human heart that realistic fiction can simply not satisfy. You see, way down, I believe, down inside the human heart and the human soul, there are these deep desires to experience the supernatural, to escape death, To know love that we can never lose. To not age but live long enough to to realize our creative dreams. To fly. To communicate with with non-human beings. To triumph over evil. We want the world to be enchanted. And sometimes, I'll be honest, fairy tales can be pretty instructive. Like take, for instance, the story of Beauty and the Beast. A thing must be loved before it's lovable or able to love well. Or Sleeping Beauty. That we're in an enchanting sleep, but another whose love is pure can break us out of it. Now the critics, they they, they deride these stories for their simplicity. And and they criticize the supernaturalism of them. That they say it's just escapism. It's a form of cowardice. It's a way of not facing the real world. The real world is not enchanted. But I've come to the conviction, and I'm going to quote G.K. Chesterton here, that this world is a wild and startling place, which might have been quite different, but which, which is quite delightful. I had always believed that the world involved magic, and now I thought that perhaps it involved a magician. And this pointed a profound emotion, always always present and subconscious, that this world of ours has some purpose. And if there's a purpose, then there's a person. And And it always felt first as a story, and if there's a story, then there's a storyteller. Even more, we found out that there is an evil sorcerer in this world. And we are under his control. And there is a noble prince who has broken that spell. And there is a love from which we'll never be parted. And we will indeed fly someday. And we will defeat death. See, I'm already started. I'm I'm ready to go. I don't know about y'all. It's it's too early. I know. I, I, I need to wait a little bit. Here's the deal. We love stories. Stories make us ask a couple of questions. The first question it usually makes us ask is what happens next? 
For all of you that have ever stayed up well past when you meant to go to bed because you just couldn't stop turning pages and you had to think, what happens next in the story? I just got to find out. And I know tomorrow I'm going to be a wreck. But I can't put it down. If you've ever had that experience or if you've ever thought when Netflix says, are you still there? (laughs) And you thought to yourself, not only am I still here, I'm offended you'd even ask. Like, yes, this story is that good. I'm going to watch another episode and another one after that. I know I've got work tomorrow, but you know what? Maybe Jesus comes back. <clears throat> and, and, and I won't have seen, I would like to see the end of this. I want to know what's going on. So I'm going to keep watching. <laughs> oh, we encounter a good enough story. We just want to find out how it ends. Because stories engage our imagination. They fill us with healthy wonder for the world around us. But, but the second question that stories make us ask, not just what happens next, and this is, this is the bigger, better question, uh, is it true? Stories not only catch our imagination and fill us with wonder, they begin to seep into our bones, into the, into, into the every day uh, of our daily lives. They inform us. They teach us values. They explore the gray areas of life and love and meaning. And stories come to work their way into our psyche and our soul. And, and, and this is what's wild. They actually tend to give us our identity. It's not even that we really ask if Romeo and Juliet are dead. Spoilers. It comes to the prologue. Yeah. It's not, that's not the question we end up asking. The question we end up asking is, can love actually make such fools of us? Is love that powerful? Does love like that really exist? Is it true? Stories help us learn how life adds up, even if they tell us it doesn't. You see, we understand, we understand ourselves in our own story. As a matter of fact, m- most psychologists believe this, that we are the stories we tell ourselves. So when the ancient story of the Bible begins, not with once upon a time, but with in the beginning, we all take note Because we realize that something very important is happening. But sometimes we've become too familiar with a story. And it loses its punch. Because we've heard it too many times. Other times we never hear a great story because it just seems too foreign to us. Too far out of our own time and place. It's just too much work to try and understand it. And other times a story loses its freight because it just gets choked out by all the other things happening around it and all the fuss being made about it. Take, for instance, the Christmas story. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You see, we've all heard it so many times that it's, it's not really as incredible as it once was. Okay, Joseph and Mary and a donkey in the desert, long journey, no room in the end, barn out back, star up above, baby born in the manger, surrounded by quiet sheep, friendly birds, or something like that. And sometimes the towering theology of incarnation can, can obscure the real meaning of the miracle behind a cloud of technical jargon and academia that makes it way too much work. To enjoy, just keep it simple. Or sometimes we can get so distracted by the roar and the press of all things Christmas in the world around us that we lose sight of the plain and simple, miraculous, and incredible story of God with us. So today I invite you again to listen to a story you've heard told a lot of times. To listen to a story that seems to be, it seems like we're just, we, Kenny was talking to me, it seems like it's being pressed to find some new bit of meaning because maybe, maybe we're bored or maybe we don't understand or maybe we want to try something new. I want you to listen to this story again. It's built not only on the powerful actions of God, on angelic messengers and on miracles, like most great stories, it's also full of rich characters and relationships. In particular, it speaks in meaningful ways to the different relationships that each character has with God. A reality that becomes all too clear when the most unexpected and amazing thing happens, God shows up. You see, up to this point in the Bible, God has been the main character Amen? But he's always been an unseen character, so to speak. Okay, God is the primary actor. He, God is the protagonist. But God is always somewhere just off stage or off screen. God is doing lots, but remains invisible. But now... At Christmas now, out onto the stage of life and history walks God in flesh. God is with us. Now maybe the prophets had foreseen it and foretold it. And maybe the angels had pronounced it and promised it. But when God showed up in flesh, some people never expected it. And when God showed up, some people, some people were actively seeking God. When God showed up, some people were given a special calling, an extraordinary experience, an opportunity. When God showed up, some people missed it altogether. When God showed up, some people even tried to fight it. Maybe now, if we listen really hard, we can hear the story of God with us with fresh ears. 
Can you imagine hearing the story told to you by the folks who were in it? Feeling what they feel. Experiencing what they experience. I'm going to start with some of the bit players. Anna and Simeon. Simeon and Anna are not, made, are not major roles. They are bit parts. Scripture doesn't give us a lot of backstory about Simeon and Anna. But they're at the right place at the right time. They happen to be at the temple the day Mary and Joseph show up with their new baby boy. But it's not by accident we find out. They've been purposefully waiting for this day for a long time. As a matter of fact, if I, if I, if I read this correctly in 25, in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So God has taken an active role in Simeon's life. And it said it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon is not there by accident. God has revealed to him. God has called him and has him being there for just this moment. It seems that he is only alive so that he gets the opportunity to see Jesus. Now, if, if, if we go down to um, verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. All right. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, you may have a footnote that says, or 88 years. Okay. Or you may have a footnote that says, or she had been a widow for 84 years. Go ahead and take your pick. I guarantee you what it's saying about her. She's very old. All right, that, that's, that's the backstory we get about Anna. She is very old. But the unexpected twist on the story is that these two very old people, some of my crowd is like, whoa, 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 he's off on the old. It's not that old. I, I love y'all. I love you. <laughs> but here's the twist. You take these two not-so-old, very old people, and they don't talk about the past. They talk about the future. Amen. Watch this. Watch this, what happens. Simeon sees the child and he takes the child in his arms and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. 
Did you see that? He didn't talk about the past. He talked about, I have seen what is to come. Finally, I'm seeing the child that is going to grow into the man who's going to live and die and be raised so that everyone can be saved. He sees the power of the future. Simeon speaks a word and proclaims salvation to those that, that, that he's only seeing in its infancy. That's bigger than just one soul. You may now dismiss your servant. But a whole world being resurrected. And Anna, as Simeon finishes, talks to Mary and Joseph, giving thanks for their son, proclaiming him as the coming redemption, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Mark Demers puts it like this, as good as the old days might have been, the best days were yet to come. Simeon and Anna were not looking for comfort, consolation, or convenience for themselves. They're out there, they're not out there busy spending their grandchildren's inheritance. <laughs> Quite the opposite. They are praying everyone's grandchild into the kingdom of God. They are waiting on God, but they are waiting in anticipation. I don't know about you, but I've, I've spent some time waiting in anticipation for what God's doing next. That it, it, it excites me to see what God is doing next. All right, I, I, and, 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 and Kenny, you got, you, got, you got caught up just for a moment in your feelings, <laughs> in my feelings, when I watched our children sing to us the gospel of Jesus. I'm excited about what God is still going to do. If you think the best days are behind us, you need to reread the gospel. God has done great things, praise God, but God is still doing great things and God will do great things. They wait with anticipation. Now Mary, Mary waits with disruption. That when God shows up, it disrupts Mary. <laughs> the Lord, or the angel Gabriel shows up and, and greets Mary as God, as God's highly favored. And he tells her, the Lord is with you. And, 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 and these are, by most Christian accounts, desirable things. We pray for God's favor and God's presence pretty regularly. At least I do. Because we're confident that God is unquestionably good and His favor and His presence are unquestionably good. Now there's an interesting strand of Hebrew theology, though, in which rabbis surmise that it might be best sometimes to evade God's notice. Ask Job. Remember, it's the tallest blade of grass that gets cut first by the lawnmower. <laughs> I'm struggling with this microphone. I'm struggling. Can I change? Can I, can I switch to this?
All right, is that all right? Okay, this will make me happier. <laughs> so, so maybe Mary spent some time with that material thinking about Job because her initial response is not exactly what we would call unbridled excitement. When he says, you're going to have a baby, she's like, okay. She starts off terrified like most people do. She was troubled at his words. And then I love this. It says she wondered at what he was saying, at what kind of greeting this might be. You see, the first thing Mary does is she responds thoughtfully. She thinks about it. She wonders at what kind of greeting it might be. The second thing, Mary opens her life to God's future a little at a time, gradually, like we might. So Mary responds thoughtfully. Then Mary opens her life gradually. Then I notice that Mary responds in wonder. Because after this she sings. And then I look at verse 38 and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She responds in willing surrender. Mary waits in disruption, but in willing surrender. Maybe some of you can relate that God has disrupted your life. You thought you knew what you were doing, but now God has stepped in and you wonder what in the world's going on now? What am I, what am I supposed to do? Because he's broken in and all of a sudden my plans are derailed and I'm not sure where I'm headed. And you get that kind of disruption and you're waiting there in disruption. Maybe not with that same anticipation. Like I know God's got a future, but like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. What in the world is God doing? But see, God provides for Mary because he gives her a connection. Some of you wait with connection. When I say connection, I mean uh, Elizabeth. Right, because with the story, right after, the, right after what I just told you, she's going to go on a trip. And she's going to spend the next six months with her aunt Elizabeth. All right, so she goes there. She greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaps in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she explained, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Both of them, if don't lose sight of this, both of them are being overwhelmed by the reality of a miracle baby. Both of them. Mary, because she's young and a virgin. Elizabeth, because she's old and past the age of childbearing. Both of them have been given a child of promise by God. And they're coping through that together. God gives them one another when they need someone the most. Because sometimes you can know that God is with you based on the helpers God gives you. Okay, that, that when Moses felt like he was outmatched by his calling, God gave him Aaron to help him carry out his mission. And when Gideon felt afraid, God gave him 300 soldiers to stand and fight beside him. And when Paul was struggling, God gave him Barnabas to encourage him. And when Mary was wrestling with her own miraculous pregnancy, God gave her Elizabeth and hers to comfort her. 
And when Adam began to doubt, God gave him Kelly to support him. And Cooper to believe in him. He gave him Steve to counsel him. He gave him Dan to embolden him and Philip to remind him of God's goodness. Karen to help him. So many more. Lists could go on and on. I haven't even touched our shepherds. They're amazing. He gave me my friends to walk with me. Maybe you can relate to that. That you're waiting in connection. The Lord has a way of showing up through the presence of other people. I want you to think who in your life can you thank God for? Of course, some folks, you, you may be out there saying, Adam, that's, that's beautiful and I want that. But right now I feel awfully alone. I don't feel like I have someone that I'm connected with. And you know who I think you're waiting like? I think you sound like you're waiting like Joseph. Joseph was, he had to be at least confused. That, that he goes from beaming betrothed to disappointed dude in a hurry. He's got a wife lined up. Mary was a pledge to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, bad news, everybody. The unthinkable has happened. Joseph has a plan in the works and he's working the plan. But then the unthinkable happens. He finds out she's already pregnant and it's not his. Now, Joseph, because he was faithful to the law and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he's a stand-up guy. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's God-honoring. He's righteous. He's a faithful follower of God. And his life, though, has been turned upside down. Now, what he doesn't yet realize at that moment is that his life has been turned upside down by God. So then we get to verse uh, 20. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Wow! That was a lot really fast. Can... I think I got it, but can you say it again from the beginning a little slower? Because that was a lot to take in. I mean, okay, you want me to marry her. Okay, I'm just, hmm, I'm not, okay, I'm, I'm not saying no. I, I just need a minute to process and catch up because this is not how I had planned things. This is not how I understood things were going to happen. I know he's gotten a word from the Lord, but do you ever think maybe he was disappointed? I get disappointed when my plans don't work out, and it's just like how the dishes are set on the table sometimes. Like just yesterday, we had, we had our staff Christmas party 
all right, at our house. And I had set the table, and then I looked out, and Kelly was rearranging. <laughs> it wasn't even a major rearrangement. Like, it was like a cup was in the wrong place. Like, and I was like, oh, man. Like, I, I get bent out of shape on the littlest change of plans. Do you ever think Joseph was just struggling with it all? The burden he was carrying, he was waiting on God, but he's waiting with confusion. How about some shepherds? Some shepherds who are, who are waiting on God with celebration. Because I'll tell you what, the shepherds win the lottery. They are not looking for God at all. You want to talk about right place, right time. These guys are just sitting out in the field nearby. It's the night shift. I, I don't know if like sheep sleep normally. Like I don't know when it's night. I don't know. But they're just hanging out out there with the sheep. Just doing whatever they do. And all of a sudden they are treated to a gospel chorus of the highest order. Telling them the greatest news in the history of the earth. And saying, oh, by the way, you can go get a front row seat right over there. Just walk across the field right there. And they do it. Why, why them? We're not told. But they go. And they see him. And verse 20 says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. They can't stop celebrating because they have seen Jesus. Oh, there are so many more I could tell you about. I don't have time to tell you. But, but think about this. If you look at Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12, there are some people there who are waiting on God while they're seeking for him. Unlike the shepherds who weren't looking at all, the Magi seem to have been seeking him for a long time. They got a few years lead on this bad boy. They travel a long way. They, they are seeking God. And then I think of Herod in the story. And Herod, when he finds out that there's a king, that there's, there's the birth of Jesus, Herod immediately says, ooh, I'm a little nervous. You see, Herod hears about God with us, and he waits in fear. And Herod says, how can I kill him? Herod waits in rejection. I think of the innkeeper. You know, the one who said, we don't have any room. Now, here's the deal. I don't think he was lying, but I also think he was really busy. <laughs> Get this. He was so busy. He could have had a front row seat. But he had so much going on that he had to take care of <laughs> that inadvertently, without even knowing he was doing it, he passed on the greatest miracle in the history of the world. Said, no thanks, I got too many things going on right here in front of me. Whew. Oh, he waited while he was distracted. Okay, okay, Adam, we, we hear you. We're, lots going on. Got it. Story with fresh ears. Okay. Lots of folks and their feelings. 
We mean this kindly, Adam, but so what? Here's what. In the Christmas story, God comes to be with us in the middle of our real lives. Not the lives we put on social media. Our real lives. The lives that parts of them we don't want other people to see. Those are those real lives. God comes to be with us in the middle of our real lives, experiences us as we really are, as people who can be distracted, as people who can be anxious, as people who can be worrisome, as people who can be disappointed, as people who can be confused. And I get all in my feelings because I think I relate to all of these. And when I look in the biblical story of Christmas, I see characters who experience anticipation and disruption and connection and confusion and celebration and seeking and fear and rejection. And maybe today you find yourself in one of these places. Maybe today you say, I feel like the shepherds. I wasn't really looking for God, but God was looking for me. I didn't even realize I was on God's radar. And it turns out that I'm loved and chosen too. And that God wants me. Praise his name. That's the gospel. Maybe you relate to the Magi and you say, I sought God with all my heart. I was amazed to learn that not only does God want to be found, but that it would be worth whatever sacrifice I made to get there. And maybe the journey of faith has taken you to places you never thought to expect. But the faith was worth it when you saw him. Maybe you relate to Mary and Joseph because God has disrupted your life and confused you with his call to step beyond your comfort zone. Those usual expectations to follow him bravely in faith. That through that faith we usher in the new and life-changing possibilities of God's redeeming work. Maybe you relate to Anna and Simeon. Just waiting in anticipation to see what God will do next. After all, a story as good as this. Christmas is just the beginning. Can you go ahead and bring your team up? But see, I hope you're not simply asking what's next. I hope you're asking that bigger question, is it true? Is it true? Is this child in the manger really the son of God? Did God really come to save us? Does love like that really exist? For me? For everyone? Is that, is that true? Here's what I've learned. Whatever my circumstances, whatever my feelings, it is true that I am still loved and chosen by God who has come to be with me. You say, Adam, that seems too good to be true. And I say, yes, it is too good to be true. And it's true. That's the amazing part of the gospel. God with us. And if it's true, what will you give to God? I stand before God with my, with my heart, my weary, 
confused, seeking but disappointed, anxious, easily tempted, hurting heart. And I mumbled to him, it's all I have. And God looks at me and he says, it's perfect. It's all I ever wanted. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.